the words of Public Enemies Chuck D. Bring the noise! Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this this is what's good. Welcome, welcome everybody. Hope everybody's doing alright. Everybody's having a good week. Well into February now, and I'm 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 done. I'm done with February already. Like I'm I'm done with it already. Like I I was I really wanted I really wanted January to go. But I really want February to go already. <laughs> now, you know, so let me let me let me let me give you a quick story before, like, you know, we start the show because I need to get this off my chest. Uh, two things that has been, that has gone on in the past week that has just just got me done, like just contempt. You know, not angry, just contemptuous. Where I'm just like, February, you you you're you're wasting your chance right now. You've had you have a lot of things going for you this this month. And nothing for you is going right in terms of treating me good. You are not treating me good right now. I have a ton of stuff planned over the over the over the next month. You know, I had a show last week, which I'm going to talk about in a sec. I have another show on Friday. Um, go, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to London and uh, for a few days and a few in a couple of weeks. And you know, I'm I'm busy doing other stuff as well. So you know, it's a it's a it's a jam packed week in terms of events. You know, and. It ain't going well so far. It ain't going well so far, you know. So last week, last Friday, I was supposed to go to uh, Camden Jazz Cafe to watch uh, Miss Mayuni, Mayuni Yusuf, aka Mumu Fresh. If you haven't listened to her, she's an amazing artist. Uh, she's a legit uh, dual threat. She can sing. She can. She can. She got bars. It's absurd her talent. Uh, the the level of talent she has. I'm. It's it's, it's crazy. So. You know, I bought these tickets a few, a couple of months ago. You know, I've, I've been looking for, I've looked forward to this a lot. Well, actually, I bought the tickets last month, and I've been, you know, keeping tabs on it since it was announced like a few months ago, late last, late last year. So I've been really looking forward to it, really looking forward to it. I didn't get to London. I just straight up didn't get to London. So let me, let me, let me, let me uh, expand. So. Uh, my train line, my local train line, is called C2C, okay, and it goes from my town in Southend area, Southend, to Westcliff, to Lee, and it goes through Benfleet, to Basildon, to Langdon, to Upminster, to Barkin, West Horndon, all that, Limehouse, and then stops at Fenchurch Street, so that's basically the line, that's basically where you're getting, if you, if you, if you know your Essex map, that's where I'm at, so, you know, from Southend to Fenchurch Street in, in the, in central London, that's, that's the line, basically, so I get to Leon C train station, okay, I'm there at 6, oh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm there at 6 30, I'm there at 6.30, wanting to get to the, uh, wanted to get to Camden at around, um, uh, around 8, okay, so I've, I've left myself a good, I've left myself a good cushion, so it takes me about 50 minutes to get to Fenchurch in central London, and then another 20 minutes or so to get to Camden, so, you know, it's a, it's a, that's good timing, so I get there at 6.30, now, the first thing I notice but I don't really take count of, and I don't really think of anything of it, is that there's a lot of people standing around. I was like, hmm, there's a couple of people standing around, but what's going on? So, you know, nobody tells me anything. I just go and buy my ticket, you know, I'm tapping on the screen, boop doop doop get, get get my ticket, boom. I'm going downstairs. Actually, I'm, read, I'm reading the thing, and it goes, um, it, 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 it doesn't really give me much. It says delayed, and I'm like, Okay, sure, fine. I don't really know how long it's been delayed, but it's been delayed. Okay, fine, whatever. So I'm looking for a I'm looking for a half past train, right? It's like a thirty five pass is supposed to come or something like that. So I'm here on time. I go down the stairs and there's a train just sitting there on the platform. I'm just like, huh? So what's this about? I walk across it. I'm walking. I'm walking. I'm walking, and I find a uh, you know a, a dude who works in. I'm going like, what's going on, mate? He's going okay. So there's been a power cut basically, uh, down down the rail, you know, just down the line, and 
uh, they're trying to fix it. And obviously, without signal, they can't they can't let the trains go past because you know it's basically flying blind. You know what I mean? That's basically what they're doing. That's basically what they'd be doing. So I'm like, that's fair enough. Uh, little did I know that this 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 delay has been going on since 6:05 or 6:10, according to the official report. So I'm there, just chi- I'm there, just like chilling in the train. I'm like, ah, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. Surely they'll get sorted within an hour. It's been half an hour already. Surely they've got something done. <sighs> after an hour, they well, after an hour of delays and half an hour of me waiting, uh, they basically go to everyone in the train. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, we're not we're not going to go for this train we're going to cancel it basically and we're going to have a uh, a bus replacement service going from uh where where we're at to Pitsy i'm like okay fine sure i wait another hour to get to 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 get that to find that bus little did i know it was going back to south end which is basically me going backwards so i end up going backwards and then i have the bright idea to go to a different a completely different line that is you know completely exclusive from the busted up line that's clearly not going to work all night uh so that one goes from the middle of town south end again to liverpool street which is just a little bit above fenchurch you know if you if you look on the tube maps a couple it's a couple up so you know not that not that far off and it's a bit longer in terms of uh in terms of length it takes about an hour uh, just a, another 10 15 minutes onto the journey so, you know, by the time I thought of this, I'm just like, this is going to be tight. Like, I've already missed the head, I've already missed the, um, the, 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 the supporting act. I've already missed the supporting act. Uh, and I still have time to maybe make it to see the actual headline, which is my Mooney Yusuf. Hopefully. I get to the train station at 8.30. So, I've spent a good two hours doing nothing, either thumb twiddling or literally going backwards, okay, and it's 8.30, ask a woman, because I haven't been to the the the, the Victoria-Liverpool line in, like, literally years, so I, I forget how long it is, so I asked a woman, how long's the trip, she's like, it's about an hour, I'm like, well, that's my night over, so in, you know, in complete totality, I spent a good three hours in the rain, um, I asked my, but I was, um, you know, the buses weren't, weren't on point either, you know, it was like half an hour between buses, and I was just done, uh, taxi rank down the road was just filled with people, there was like 10 people waiting, I just called my mum, frustrated, wet, cold, and I was just like, mum, I beg you, pick me up, and she picked me up about, about 15 minutes later, I got my refund for the ticket, which is good, but I missed my chance to see my Muni Yusuf, and that is something that will I will hold for dear life, in the same vein of missing Big Daddy Kane at Kentish Town, because for that one I was completely stupid and not realizing that the show went on till 2 a.m. I should have ordered a hotel for the night, but I obviously didn't in that case. And on top of all this, uh, the heating in my house has gone. So for the past 24 hours, we have had no heating, and yeah, so that's been fun. Uh, last time I saw the thermostat, it's at 14.5 degrees, which is you know I can live, I can I can live with that, but you know it's noticeably cold, colder. So yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting week, <laughs> and um, yeah, this is this show is going to be a long one. <laughs> I am I apologise, but yeah. That's basically been my week. Um, formalities, you know, email, Twitter, IG, Facebook. It's all there in the description box below. It's also going to be there on the fifthelement.org.uk if you're reading the articles. And if you want to read the articles that I'm linking uh, as I go through the show, read some articles as well as for, you know, context. Uh, you can read those on the Fifth Element as well. So let's get into the show <laughs> after a nine-minute diatribe. <laughs> Where to begin? Where to begin? Okay, let's begin with sports. The Super Bowl was trash, and if you listen to uh, one of the ep- one of my earlier episodes, I talked about the Super Bowl. Well, I talked about actually the NFL overall, uh, uh, the American football overall, and I basically said it will be dead in fifty in less than fifty years. And according to uh, many many all the 
you know, all the sites, but I'm reading from The Guardian here specifically. Uh, the overnight TV ratings, 10-year low amid New Orleans protests. And, you know, I hardly believe it was because of New Orleans. There's many reasons to why it wasn't watched. You know, obviously there was the Kaepernick thing, which is probably a big reason. There was also the New Orleans thing. And there was also the fact that the game on its face was trash. Uh, LA Rams, New England Patriots. You know, New England has a, is a legitimate dynasty. And, you know, people were really wanting to see Kansas City Chiefs because they have Patrick Holmes and he's the NFL MVP of this year and he's very exciting to watch. I kept seeing highlights on Twitter and, you know, and he was doing like no-look throws and I was like, this dude is absolutely absurd. Actually, a lot yesterday... I saw him play basketball in like a just just in a regular gym, and he was cooking, cooking with grease. Honestly, he was he was a grease pan fire up in there. It was, it was absurd. He was hitting spin moves, mate. Mean spin move, mean spin move. You should you should see it if you if you if you know the right channels to look up. But yeah, you know there were plenty of possible of other teams that were more exciting, genuinely more exciting, and that was obviously a reason. But, you know, I'm going to loosely chalk this up to me saying that the NFL was dying. It's a slow death. It's like smoking, in a way. Uh, there will be there will be something way better, uh, you know, that is not purposefully unsafe and just, you know, barbaric in its nature. It's just, it's just going to die. And, the, and, you know, adding on to the cultural aspect, the societal aspect of this whole sport... It's just going to die. It's going to die. And, uh, you know, low, low TV ratings is, you know, a factor. But, you know, if they give, if they, if they show a good game, people will watch it. You know what I mean? That's, that's basically what football is, especially the Super Bowl. And that's, that's especially what the Super Bowl is. You see some, um, some people, you know, from the UK just watching it just because, you know, I, I used to watch it just because it was on, you know, it was up at 2am, let me go give you a watch, you know, why not, it's something to watch, uh, something different instead of um, Family Guy and stuff like that, and another reason why people watch it is because of the halftime show, now, <laughs> this was another garbage halftime show, I don't care for Maroon Five. I'd have, I'd have, I don't know anybody that cares for Maroon Five. You know, not, honestly, I really don't know anybody that likes Maroon Five. And obviously, there are people that like Maroon Five. I do not know these people. Um, and they also had Travis Scott and Big Boy there. And obviously, there's a lot of just um, uh, there's uh, there's a lot of um, selling out uh, as it pertains to those two um but yeah it's it, apparently the heart I, I didn't watch halftime show i didn't watch any of it I, I kept up with it on twitter i was awake so you know i kept up with it on twitter and and people were whining so you know it, it just from from a glance it looked garbage and from the score it looked garbage uh from the result it's garbage and and apparently Saints fans were there in droves, and I find that quite fascinating. Um, if you this, if you watch, if you keep up with NFL, that's something to uh, laugh over. But um, yeah, I'm 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 happy with the fact that NFL is dying. Um, I'm, I'm I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. Uh, but I thought it was something. I just thought it was something fun to talk about because um, yeah, I I enjoy I enjoy negative. Um, because let's be real, there's a lot of um. There's a lot of things wrong with uh, American football, and uh, I'm not even talking about college football. Um, you know, they, they have their own problems, such as paying players. Uh, but you know, NFL, for such a large institution, is in a similar vein of Facebook, where they have, you know, they have power that you know other sports don't, and Facebook have power that you know other social networks, other social media. Um, you know, social networks do not have. Maybe Twitter has um, as much power. You know, so these entities have something that you know changes culture. And as pertains to the NFL, they actually have power on some politics. Um, so you know, it's it's something that they ha they should really recognise, and they don't they don't recognise it. They have you know, quote unquote, allegedly, but we all know what's up. Um, blackballed a uh, blackball Colin Kaepernick, and they also they had some um, civil rights figures there uh, for the coin toss, which I found very interesting. 
So, so you're celebrating the civil rights movement from, excuse me, from back in the day, by having uh, and and then you're, and then you're also blackballing a civil rights activist who happened to be gaining popularity in your sport and now can't get a job, huh? That's um that is some interesting double standards there, um, and I find that. I find that very, I find that very interesting. You know, it's just there's a lot of things wrong with that sport. But hey, let's continue. Super Bowl's trash. It's going to die. Let's continue with um, let's get let's continue with some music. So um, yeah, there's only one there's only one place to talk about um in terms of music, and that is Twenty One Savage. Now, this is this has surprised everybody, and my first question is how because. I assume, you know, this is a wild assumption, but I assume that 21 Savage has had run-ins with the police in his heyday. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming uh, that, he's had, that, his, uh, that his record is not as clean as most people's. So, how is the fact that he's British come as a surprise to people? How, is this not, how has this not been uncovered until now? You know? So, for those that don't know... I uh, don't know how you wouldn't know, but because of all the memes. But you know, uh, if you don't know, let me let me um, fill you in. So this was from a uh, uh, Guardian here uh, <clears throat> via New York. Um, the Grammy-nominated Atlanta-based rapper Twenty One Savage has been arrested by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, aka ICE, uh, officials who said that he was in the country illegally. Authorities said the musician was a British national who had entered the U.S. illegally in 2005 but failed to leave under the terms of non-immigrant visa, which expired in July 2006. The rapper, whose name, uh, whose given name is Shahyar bin Abraham Joseph, uh, was placed in removal proceedings. I said Abraham Joseph was arrested as part of a, quote, targeted operation with federal and local law enforcement partners, unquote. Brian Cox, ICE's southern regional spokesman, confirmed the arrest to local Atlanta station WSB-TV. Quote, Mr. Abraham Joseph was taken into ICE custody as he is unlawfully present in the U.S. and also a convicted felon, unquote, Cox said. Um, a nice statement. Uh, yeah, a nice statement said Abraham Joseph was convicted on felony drug charges in Fulton County, Georgia, in October 2014. He performed in Atlanta as recently as Thursday as part of the Super Bowl Music Fest at the State Farm Arena. I said it would uh, await the outcome of his case before a federal immigration judge to, defer- to determine future actions. When asked about the case, the British Foreign Office responded, our staff are in contact with a lawyer of a British man following his detention in the USA. Attorneys for the rapper said on Monday their client was wrong, uh, being wrongly held, claiming US officials had known about his immigration status since at least 2017, when he sought a new visa. Uh, that application is pending, the attorney said. Quote, the continued detention of Mr. Abraham Joseph serves no other purpose than to unnecessarily punish him and try to intimidate him into giving up his right to remain in the United States, the attorneys said in their statement. Mail Online has <laughs> Mail Online, great, has published a birth certificate they claim Abraham Joseph's uh, for Shea bin Abraham, born 22nd of October 1992 in Newham Hospital in Plaistow, East London. Um, an attorney for Abraham Joseph, Dina Lapolt, told the website TMZ, God, these, these credible news sites, all, uh, Mail Online, TMZ, God, mm, I, I can, I can, I'm drowning in credibility right now, uh, that lawyers were, quote, working diligently to get Mr. Abraham Joseph out of detention while we work with authorities to clear up any misunderstanding, she said. Uh, Mr. Abraham Joseph is a role model to the young people in the country, especially in Atlanta. And is actively working in the community, leading uh, community leading programs to help underprivileged youths in financial literacy. Twenty One Savage has been nominated for two awards at this year's Grammys, including Record of the Year for Rockstar with Post Malone, the track which you know all that. Uh, on Friday, he released a video for the album track a lot. Uh, that was good, a good video. And Ice did not immediately return a request. Excuse me, return a request for comment. Though a nice spokesman told CNN that Abraham Joseph's whole public persona was false. Yeah, so there's there's um I, there's a lot of holes in this. 
there is plenty of holes in this, and I think you know if you you know if you you know read that, it's just there's a lot of holes. As why so they knew he applied for a visa as early as 2017. Okay, so he applied for a, a reapplication. They knew he was. They, they they surely should have known. They they knew this. They knew he was a UK immigrant to the US as of 2005. That surely has been accounted for. They should have known that he was there. That he was there technically illegally since 2006. So why now? That is my main question. Why now? And I I I really don't understand why now. Honestly, I I don't really. It, it obviously screams shady to me, and hopefully, and I think it should for everybody. The fact that they've picked this particular moment to arrest him and to detain him and possibly deport him back to the UK, uh, a country which I assume he hasn't been to since he left in '05. You know, it's um, it's it's a uh, it's very interesting, and it kind of reminds me a lot about uh, Windrush. It reminds me a lot of that as well. You know, obviously these are two completely, don't get twisted, two completely different, uh, uh, you know, injustices. But they are injustices nonetheless. You know, with when people, uh, I saw an article actually uh, a few days ago where some, uh, you know, it was was labelled, it was titled as Jamaican nationals are going to be deported via charter plane uh, back to Jamaica from the UK. And you know they were people that were that have had that have criminal records, and they actually have you know they served time. They served their time in jail years ago when they were young, you know, back in the sixties and seventies or whatever. And they have lived you know as UK nationals all these years since Windrush, and now they're going to be deported for. I don't know. If you have a reason, please tell me, because <laughs> there is no reason for it. Um, and this is, and this kind of smells, and this 21 Savage thing smells of that a bit as well. You know, the origins of, of why it is probably different, but as, like I said, the injustice, they're both injustices and they're both, you know, matters of deportation, wrongful deportation. Um, if, if, if they were going to deport him, they should have deported, deported him in 06, you know? The fact that he's replied for a visa is telling that, you know, surely they have him on a database that he's pending another visa. Um, and I, I, I really I really don't understand. It's kind of confusing. And, you know, I know all the memes are funny and I have had a fair share of laughing about, you know, remixing his lyrics to make it British. It's funny. And um, uh, one meme I actually saw was... Um, uh, it was a it was a gif of a dude running, and uh, it was like uh, Drake rushing to uh to uh, to to get on a track with uh, a now British Twenty One Savage because we all know Drake wants to be British for some reason. Um, that, you know that that stuff is funny, but in the light of you know in in this totality of him being deported basically for questionable uh, for not even not even questionable reasons the reason is because he is there illegally okay that's a fair reason but it's the timing that is questionable it's the timing of it all where you're just like huh a week before the grammys i mean i don't really get why they do it now you know why not 2017 why not when he when he was was it was he arrested in 2017 i think it was and uh, let me go through it again was him um, yeah so you know Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, convicted of felony drug charges in to- to October 2014. That would be a perfect time to deport him, would it not? Oh, you're on drug charges. Oh, look, you're illegal. Deport. You know, it, that, that seems like the most logical time to do it. And also the time when he has, uh, that you know, claiming US officials had known about his immigration status since at least 2017. What does that say to you? screams shadiness to me so you know i'll probably uh obviously this is an evolving story and obviously this isn't done so if there are any news next week i'll be sure to um you know give you guys a heads up um but you'll probably clock it anyway so 
you know, it might be in the extra force for next week. Who who knows? So um, yeah, uh, free 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 twenty one savage, free twenty one savage. Um, uh, next up, yeah. So let's talk about Neam Neeson. <sighs> yeah. So this is um, this is all this is all weird. This is all creepy. Um, and this is all telling of a lot of things. It's a this is this is a this is something that could be considered a much deeper conversation, and I'll get to that later. But um, let me read something from uh, uh, Gary Young uh, from the Guardian here. Um. A great writer. So he says, Liam Neeson's interview shows that for some, black people are still not fully human. That's his title. Uh, so he goes talking about... Um, actually, let me just talk about it. So, quote, When I was coming up in Mississippi, I never knew it was against the law to kill a black man. The late Buford Posey told me when he was 79. Quote, I learned that when I went to the army, went in the army, I was 17 years old. When they told me, I thought they were joking, joking, unquote. I was grateful for his candor. Back in the day, they used to call it, quote, nigger hunting. A posse of, quote, good old boys would head out in search of a black man to pay the price for his melanin and their inadequacies. It was a relief to have a white person offer an honest reflection on the racial mores of the time. So following Liam Neeson's recent interview, we should at least, uh, at the very least, admire him for his candor. I agree. Uh, for all the to- for all the talk of a post-racial society and enlightenment values, he is a white man who admits he literally went out for a week or more looking for a black man to murder. It seems the bad old days of Buford Posey's youth aren't as distant aren't as distant a memory as some would like to think. When it comes to race and racism, we are not simply far from the place many thought we were. We are not even where more people uh, where more where even more still pretend to be. The next time someone asks me when I have a chip on my shoulder, I need no longer brush the question away with a disdain. I can say with all sincerity, because there may be, <laughs> there may well be an Oscar-nominated actor out there who wants to kill me, so I have to be alert at all times. It is difficult to know where to, where to start with the Neeson interview, so I guess we should start at the beginning and keep going. While promoting his film *Cold Pursuit*, which centers on a man desires for man's desire for revenge, Neeson's re- Neeson reveals his own experience of seeking vengeance. Someone close to him was raped. My immediate reaction was dot dot dot. Neeson told the Independent, "I asked, did she know who it was? No. From here on, we are no longer talking about the woman or sexual violence. Her trauma has become a cipher for Neeson's desire for retribution. What color were they?" he asked. This is an odd question. When I've spoken to friends who have been sexually assaulted, it has never occurred to me to ask this. Uh, just as an aside, that is a very interesting question. That was one of the things I was thinking about. I was like, why would you ask... You know, I don't want to do hypotheticals, but would you really ask that question? I don't think you would. Anyway, continue. Um, uh, yeah, when I've spoken to friends who have been sexually assaulted, it has never occurred to me to ask this. How does it inform your understanding of a rape or comfort the survivor uh, if you know the race of the rapist? I cannot speak to Nisa's motivation. I cannot tell you why he has not asked about the colour of the attacker's eyes, his approximate age or height. But it is possible to speak to the centuries-old role that black male sexuality plays in the justification of racism in general and lynching in particular. The threat of vi- uh, violation of white women by black men, both real and more often imagined, has long stood at the core of racist tropes and atrocities. It would make sense if the police asked the question because, along with the other, ident- other identifying information, it might help them to find the perpetrator. But Neeson, as soon as we find out, uh, as, as we soon find out, isn't asking so he can actually bring someone to justice, quite the opposite. She said it was a black person, unquote. At this, one, at this point, one has to wonder what would have happened if the answer had been a white person. Would Neeson have gone out looking for a, quote, white bastard to kill? Or would he have just killed himself? Is the race of the attacker only relevant if they are black? Or can we share this bigotry around? Neeson continues, quote, I went up and down areas with a kosh, which means uh, basically a Big ass stick, you know, metal pole, for example. Uh, hoping I'd be approached by somebody 
I'm ashamed to, uh, to say that, and I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could dot 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 kill him. So there it is. Neeson is angry and upset and decides to invest his rage in the collective punishment of a group of people based on the colour of their skin. It is perhaps now clearer to some why the early 21st century needed a movement called Black Lives Matter. Because the man who performed a tender love scene with Viola Davis, uh, widows, uh, is the same man who fantasised about killing her husband or stepson or anyone else who looked like them. Because the sanctity of black life have, has yet to be settled. When some white people look at us, they see anything from a misplaced grievance to a cautionary tale. What they do not see are human beings. We are still fair game. This is not some historical problem. Problem. It is a lived reality. There was Gregory Allen Bush in October, who allegedly told a witness, quote, whites don't shoot whites, unquote, after shooting two black people at a Kentucky, Kentucky grocery store, having first tried to gain entry to a black church. The black security guard in Chicago shot dead by police in November while doing his job. The Nashville police officer indicted last month for fatally shooting a man in the back as he ran away. We should, of course, not ignore Neeson's shame in this. We all do things we regret. We are all fragile. It takes courage to admit the things that we are most ashamed of. Indeed, from his point of view, that's the whole point of the story. It was horrible. Horrible. When I think back that I did that, unquote, he says. It's awful. And I've never admitted that I am I am saying it uh, to a journalist, God forbid. Uh, luckily for Neeson, the journalist was forgiving to a fault. It is possible to hear, this is a quote, uh, it is possible to hear that said out loud to read those words and not judge, she asked. Then again, think of the circumstance. He had learnt someone close to him had been raped. No one would ever want to have to confront that in their own life. Do people react, do other people react that way, unquote. Look into your hearts and tell me who among you has not had a racially motivated homicidal urges. I'll give you a little second on that one, because that is a very interesting question. I really do wonder how many of us, how many of you guys, had a racially motivated homicidal urge. Um, that's a very interesting question. Continuing. Which of us have not been there? From here on, the focus of concern strays from the ra strays from the rape survivor beyond the intended victims of his week-long racial pathology to Neeson himself. He is the real victim here. Spare a thought for the poor fellow. He's hard be <laughs> it's hard being a white guy and harbouring all this rage. There are several problems with this narrative, but for now let's focus on just a couple. The first is that it ignores the very low bar that has been set. Since when did people get credit for confessing that they once thought about killing innocent people on the basis of their race and have since thought better of it? And second... The path to redemption storyline only works if Neeson learns something, but in his own words, the moral of the story is this, quote, I did learn a lesson from it, when I eventually thought, what the fuck are you doing, you know? That's it. Now, no, we don't, uh, no, we don't know. Neeson, Buford Posey, I later learned, became a, long, a lifelong committed anti-racist. What the fuck are you doing? And that is the end of the, um... That's the end of uh, Gary Young's post. So, as it pertains to my thoughts on all of Liam, ne all this Liam Neeson stuff, um, a very good, a very good point by Young there was um, why is the race the first thing? Secondly, and this is my point, um, is there really a? I didn't realize there was a statute of limitations on racism. You know, I mean, Liam Neeson hasn't done anything to, um, you know, any uh, anything to heal him, heal himself from from this um, from this uh, diabolical week of trying to hunt for a black man uh, to kill. You know, I, I haven't I haven't seen him do any um, anti-racism, you know, talks or speak about anything like that. You know, he's just continuing doing his revenge films. And on that subject of revenge films, how fascinating is it that 
you know, all these revenge films, Taken, and now this Cold Pursuit that he's uh, actually... This is actually part of the film promotion, which is quite fascinating. Um, how how interesting is it that, you know, all of these performances that he's done, Taken is the highlighted one, um, that is all actually an inspired performance. An inspired performance, actually, that, you know, he took this anger that he, um, that he, that he, that he had... Uh, for a friend that was raped by apparent by a ba- by a black person, according to her, um, he 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 took that and he made it into Taken. That's why Taken is so good, killing all their Middle Eastern brown people. It, it is quite that 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 is um it is quite interesting that uh, it's a, a real uh, uh, inspired performance and um. <sighs> You know, I've kind of, um, I've kind of lost myself in all of this already, because, um, it's just, it's just, it's just a bit, it's just a bit, I'm going to be real with you, I just find this so crazy that, you know, at the same, at the same day, literally yesterday, it was Trayvon Mayan's birthday, and, you know, a few days ago, uh, Jussie Smollett, who, you know, um, a gay, black, actor, empire fame, singer as well, was, you know, assaulted in a hate crime only a few days ago. And now this Liam Neeson stuff has popped up. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And I ask you guys this question. Um, regardless of whether it was back, whether it was back in, uh, I assume this was in Ireland at the time, or now, regardless of where, um... Imagine if a black person had this same thought and they were walking around for a week. For a week with a baseball bat, for example. How, how, do, do you, could you imagine that? I don't think you could. I don't think anybody could. If a black dude was walking across the street every day for seven days... Or five for a weekday, five, six, seven days, whatever. He 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 be getting he'll be getting the police called at some point. So it's it is kind of um, you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a lens to look at from from that from there. Excuse me, there's a lens to look at from there. And um, you know, a black man could not hold this rage for that long it's just a fact that he could not hold it for that long and get away with it let's 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 be let's be real he had uh, Liam Neeson had a week to calm down that's another thing how mad could you possibly be have you ever been have you ever been white hot rage where you're willing to kill a person for a week have let me ask you that Answer yourself. Answer that question for yourself. Have you ever been so angry for a week that you want to kill a person? That is another question I ask to you. And if you have, how did you how how did you deal with it? How, how did you did you walk around with a metal with a metal pipe for a week, walking around your neighbourhood trying to find a black person to to whack? Or anybody to whack doesn't have to be racially motivated, but you know, <laughs> have you have you ever been have you ever had homicidal tendencies for a whole week? It's 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 actually crazy. This ain't a forgiving. This ain't this ain't the matter of forgiveness. I admire the fact that you said it. But I ain't I ain't. There's no forgiveness, you know. And even at the same and uh, you know, if I'm gonna compare this, um, well, not compare it, but um, bring up another. Another recent story where, um, you know, a celebrity has been, you know, just, you know, popped, had constant shots popped to him for like a, for, for, for a while. Kevin Hart. That dude has been absolutely clattered on social media for basically not apologizing. And he was wrong for that, for not, you know, explicitly being fully apologetic uh, for towards his, you know, homophobic tweets from a few years ago, you know, he by all means he should have gotten the the the, the you know the 
cancellation, quote unquote, that he's been that he's been having. <clears throat> this is um this is more. This is more, and this is a much deeper. Con- this is in a much deeper context. This is a conversation about white privilege, where you know, a, a guy could a white guy could literally hunt for a black person for a week. I don't think you. I don't. I don't think we actually fully understand in a matter of time. How angry you have to be for seven days to want to kill somebody. Anybody with a darker skin tone than you. I think that is a thing that we really need to hone in on. The fact that he was angry for a week. And and like I said, this is a much deeper conversation on white privilege. This is a much deeper conversation on just racism in general. And if we're linking this to the US, also harping, it harbors, um, you know, I don't want to say, I don't even want to say past past thoughts since um, Jesse Smollett was um, basically hunted down as part of a hate crime only recently in 2019. But, you know, this harbors back to lynchings back in the day. This harbors back to birth of a nation, pitchforking, torches, burning black people's neighborhoods down. This is a much, much deeper conversation. A much, much deeper conversation. And in that sense, I appreciate Liam Neeson bringing it up. But as it pertains to him... He he, he he can't... Saying I'm not racist isn't enough. Really isn't enough. To harbour anger, to want to... To having homicidal tendencies for a black person for a week is not... Is not something to shrug off. No. Not something to shrug off. It really isn't. And... <laughs> I think I think there's a, just a much it's just, it's just a much deeper conversation to have here as it pertains to him personally all these revenge films that he's had that he's made his career out of ah uh, I'm going to see Taken in a whole new light not that I rated Taken that much the first one was great but you know you can't do the same thing several times but yeah going to see that in a whole different light inspired performance Clap, clap, clap. Um, and, yeah. I think I've made my point, but... I, I, don't, I don't think this is something that should be shrugged off. This isn't, like, just another news story. I, I really don't think that. I, I hold a lot more weight on this than I think you guys do. And I think you should put more weight on it. As it pertains to a larger conversation. And as it pertains to the, you know, just a news story as it is. On the face of it, in a vacuum, and also if you broaden it out, there's a lot more if you broaden the scope, a lot more. And in that similar vein of um, recognizing black people, I wanted to um, dedicate my life segment to just a just an article I you know tripped up upon, just um just saw, and I was like, you know what, this will be this will be quite cool, this will be quite cool, and in the light of um, Liam Neeson, I thought it was even more poignant, and even from Gary Young's um, uh, column, uh, you know, talking about how we black people are just quite not considered fully human yet. I think this is uh, actually very poignant, and I'm glad, and I'm glad I'm going to get into this. So, my last segment is basically just from a um, from a uh, BBC. I wonder. Um, uh, Pioneers and Trailblazers um, segment thingy that they did a few few <coughs> excuse me a few a uh, few years ago I assume but doesn't say when it was um, published but um, yeah this is uh, fifteen great Black Britons who made history so let's get into it uh, and they go they go chronologically so this is from one twenty five to three hundred fifty um, in that area uh, Beachy Head Lady. So I don't I don't I don't remember if you um 
don't know if you guys remember Cheddar Man from a from like a year or two ago. Um, this is kind of the it's kind of the same thing. So, uh, although we know little about her life, this woman remain this woman's remains have given us a remarkable insight into the long history of Africans living in Britain. In 2012, archaeologists examined skeletons found during the 19th century. An uh, analysis revealed one skeleton named Beachy Head Lady after the Eastbourne beauty spot where she was discovered belonged to a woman of sub-Saharan African descent from around 125 AD. She lived in she had lived in England most of her life and held a relatively high position in Roman society. The first Black Britain known to us, she confirms the African presence in Britain uh, stretches yeah stretches back to the second and third centuries. Uh, Ignatius Ignatius Sancho uh, for seventeen twenty nine to seventeen eighty. Uh, the first African prose writer published in England, Sancho became a financially independent male householder and the first known Black British voter. Born on a slave ship, Sancho's birthplace is unknown. When his mother died and his father committed suicide, the orphan Sancho was taken to England. Working as a butler, his intelligence was recognised by his employer, the Duke of Mon- Montague who sponsored his creative endeavours. Sancho wrote plays, poetry and music, then set up, a shop, set up a shop in Westminster, which became a meeting place for writers, artists and musicians. Sancho counted Samuel Johnson, Lawrence Stern and David Garrick amongst his friends. Uh, this, is, uh, this is one I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you guys have heard of this person, because uh, uh, I did, and it was only because... He his book was in um, school library, and it was kind of like the only book of its kind there, which was kind of fascinating. Uh, Alauda Equiano, seventeen forty five to seventeen ninety seven. Uh, Alauda's story captured my imagination at a young age, inspiring seven year old me to write a history on Equ- of Equiano called Break the Chains. Um, I should say who this is by. Uh, by the way, this is by a social historian Ebed Dabiri. Uh, continuing on, uh, Equi. Equi- yes, Equiano is um, misspelled on the on the thing. Uh, Equiano's own uh, own autobiography, Break the Chains, uh, became pivotal for the abolitionist movement, earning him fame and fortune. It describes near unfathomable horrors of captivity before he purchased freedom around 22 years of age, a phenomenal achievement. Life as a free black man in the colonies was dangerous. Equiano was almost sent back to, into slavery. This prompted a move to London, his book was one of the earliest account, earliest personal accounts of slavery by a black writer, roused public opinion, and was an instant uh, bestseller. Uh, and in the ve- same vein of that, she was not British, but uh, what was her name? What was her name? I will find her name. Um, but it was, uh, but it was um, covered in a TV show called "Someone Knows My Name," or it was called, the, or it was also called "The Book of Negroes." Um, so if you want to look those both those names up, uh, it started Ingenue Ellis, um, amazing show. It was like six part limited series about this woman who, in the similar vein of Equiano, like wrote a book uh, called The Book of Negroes, and yeah, she was she was actually an amazing person off the TV show alone, and it was just so so fascinating, absolutely amazing show. So let's continue. <clears throat> William Cuffey. Uh, C-U-F-F-A-Y, uh, 1788 to 1870. Uh, Cuffey, a formerly uh, enslaved man from St. Kitts, was a powerful orator. He campaigned for universal suffrage and emerged as a leader of the char- uh, of the Chartists. Part of the first mass, pol- mass political movement in Britain, fighting for political rights uh, for the working classes, Cuffey was arrested and accused of conspiring to levy war against Queen Victoria. Transported to Tasmania, he received a pardon three years later. However, he elected to stay agitating for democratic rights until his death in 1870. Though he has been largely forgotten, his legacy remains uh, an inspiration for those who believe in the rights of the marginalised and the poor. Uh, Mary Seacole, 1805-1881. Born to a free black woman, Seacole's position in Jamaican society did not protect her from the racism experienced by black people at the time. Seacole's mother was a healer who gave her daughter a rich education in Caribbean and African medicine. When the Crimean War began, Seacole applied to the uh, sorry applied to the British War Office to assist, but was refused. Independently, she set up the British Hotel near Balaclava to care for the wounded. Yeah, but the 
complaint. Uh, she became a much-loved figure with a reputation to match Florence Nightingale. She returned destitute, but a benefit arranged uh, by Queen Victoria's nephew raised funds for her. She lived in London until her death. Ira Aldridge, 1807-1867 Aldridge was one of the highest paid actors in the world at a time where black roles such as Othello were played by white men with blackened skin. Born in New York before the abolition of slavery, he emigrated to the UK in order to pursue opportunities impossible for a black man in the US. He went on to establish himself as a formidable Shakespearean actor throughout Europe. His daughters also became performers. In 1896, Lorana Aldridge was cast to perform the notoriously racist, quote, um, Ring of the Nibelung. I think I said that right. Nibelung, N-I-B-E-Lung. Probably right. Uh, at the Bayreuth, Bayreuth Festival, uh, for six decades before Grace Bunbury officially broke the colour barrier. Uh, John Edmonston, 1793 to 1882. Okay, well, so this is not um, uh, chronological, but hey-ho, hey, there we go. Edmonston was a taxidermist whose skills were instrumental in facilitating the pioneering scientific research of Charles Darwin. Edmonston was born into slavery in Guyana. Upon gaining his freedom, he travelled to Scotland and met the naturalist Charles Waterton, uh, who taught him the craft of taxidermy. He became a tutor at Edinburgh University, where he taught the young Darwin. Uh, he regaled his student with accounts of the tropics, which are thought to inspire Darwin's pivotal trip to the Galapagos. Taxidermy was crucial to Darwin's research, leading to his development of the theory of evolution by natural selection. So, without no Edmonston, there would have been no Charles Darwin. Fascinating. Uh, Fanny Eaton, 1835 to unknown. Eaton was a model, uh, a muse, who featured in the work of pre-Raphaelite artists. Raphael Light, Raphael Light artist. That's a really weird way of wording it. Uh, the child of a formerly enslaved woman, Eaton moved from L- to London from Jamaica and worked as a portrait model at the Royal Academy. She sat. She sat for several well-known artists, including John Millais, uh, Joanna Boyce, Dante Gabriel Rossetti, and Frederick Sanders. Rossetti praised Eaton's beauty in a time when narrow beauty standards and racial prejudice, prejudice ensured black women rarely had a prominent place in Western art. Recently, increasing interest in Eaton has led to an appreciation of her art, uh, of her place in art history. Uh, Evelyn Dove, Evelyn Dove, Evelyn Dove, idiot, 1902 to 1987. Uh, Dove was an internationally renowned singer, actress and star of the 1920s cabaret scene. The daughter of Sierra Leonean barrister and uh, his English wife, Dove, studied at the Royal Academy of Music, where she performed with some of the world's top black entertainers. She was soon regarded as a close rival to jazz star Josephine Baker. There were many challenges for a black female performer in Evelyn's day. Once hugely celebrated, her reputation as a singer faded, and she died alone in obscurity. Recent interest in her extraordinary life will hopefully introduce her to a new generation. Uh, ah, this is a more notable one. Stuart Hall. Big up Stuart Hall, 1932 to 2014. How does the godfather of multiculturalism? Hall was one of the Brit- one of Britain's leading intellectuals and political campaigners. Hall arrived from Jamaica in 1951 after winning a scholarship to study at Oxford University. In 1960, he helped found the influential academic journal, The New Left Review. He pioneered academic study of low and highbrow culture, including media, identity, sexuality and race, as a means to understand and interpret society and politics. He went on to co-found the first cultural studies course in Britain at the Centre for Contemporary Cultural Studies at the University of Birmingham. Neil Kenlock, uh, 1950 to today. Uh, since moving to Britain from Jamaica in 1963, Neil Kenlock has been at the forefront of documenting the black experience in the UK. As a photographer, he became renowned for images celebrating the culture and lifestyles of the UK's Jamaican community. He was the official photographer for the UK Black Panther movement, producing powerful portraits of prominent campaigners and protests. He was also a staff to he was also a staff photographer for the first black, national black newspaper West Indian World. Later he co-founded Choice FM, the first radio station that devote, devoted to playing music of black origin. Uh, Joan Armour Trading 1952 today. The three-time Grammy Award nominee, Joan Arbitrating, was the first ever female UK artist to be nominated for a Grammy in the blues category. 
Jo moved from the UK, age seven, joined her parents from migrants from St. Kitts in a slum district of Birmingham. She began writing songs about song aged about fourteen. Like many great guitarists, she saw herself. To, she taught herself to play. Joan left school to support her family, but lost her first job when she took her guitar to work. In seventies, Joan became the first Black British singer-songwriter um, to enjoy international success. She received honorary degrees from seven UK universities and uh, and the University of West Indies. Olive Morris, 1952 to 1979. Morris was a prominent civil rights activist, spearheading uh, anti-racist activism in South London and Manchester. Although she died of cancer just at age, age just 27, she made significant contributions to black communities across the country. A member of Brixton's Black Panther movement, Morris co-founded the Organisation of Women of African and Asian Descent, OWAAD, and the Brixton Black Women's Group. She left school without qualifications, yet won a place to study at Manchester University and helped establish Black mu- Women's uh, Mutual Aid and the, Black Ma- and the Manchester Black Women's Co-op. Uh, Zadie Smith, 1975 to today. Uh, she, since, her, since the release of her debut novel when she was just 24, Smith has been regarded as one of the leading literary voices of her generation. Born to a Jamaican mother and British father, Smith began writing White Teeth, while studying at Cambridge University. It received widespread acclaim and scooped literary, pri- literary prizes. More novels followed, including Orange Prize winner on Beauty, as well as essays and short stories. Smith's writing, informed, uh, informed by her background with its distinct racial and class inter- intersections, provides profound insights into identity and the human condition more expansively. She now teaches at New York University. And I think this is the last one, which is Wiley. Big up Wiley, 1979 uh, to the day. Uh, Wiley, aka Richard uh, Kalia Cowie, is widely considered the godfather of Grime. Enjoyed success in Grime and garage groups and as a soloist from the mid 90s, who's been instrumental in creating a new sonic aesthetic, drawing on the reggae hit uh, reggae his father played to the drum and bass he emceed over as a teenager. In the process, he has been given uh, Black Britain a unique voice, forging a genre that both contains black British musical history and pushes it forward. It has enabled the success of artists from Dizzy Rascal to Stormzy's to Skepta, whose cultural dominance have given shape to the wider identity of the 21st century British youth culture. And, yeah, I hope you guys uh, <laughs> hope you guys uh, got something from that, because um, there's a lot of interesting people, you know, from... and You know, the one thing I always find fascinating about reading these kind of things and... Hopefully you guys actually uh, tolerated that because I I know it was absurdly long, but I thought I thought it was, I thought it was, um I find it very inter- I find those kind of things very interesting simply because we like I don't think some some people the wider the, the wider UK society doesn't you know recognise that there have been amazing Black British people pre-Windrush, you know what I mean, like, they, some people think, like, just everyone, the, all the, all the black culture that has been here in Britain, you know, came through in, came through on the, on the boats in Windrush, like, sure, you know, the more recent, of course, duh, but, you know, there was Equiano, there was Edmonston, there were, you know, there were those people that were there before all of this, all of the recent history that we now know, um, and you know, I think it's worth always worth um, looking up uh, the people that uh, the, that you that you know you don't know about. So, you know, so you might think, uh, oh, this is the first person to do that, and lo and behold, it wasn't. You know, so um, I always find that sort of stuff kind of fascinating. I hope you guys um, uh, appreciate my fascination because. <laughs> that is pretty much um, that's pretty much what the what my uh, what that segment was pretty much about. It's just very in, very self indulgent. I just wanted to read it, and hopefully you guys um, uh, appreciate appreciate that. But anyway, that's the show. Uh, it's been more good. It felt very fast actually. So um, you know, so I've only just about cracked fifty nine minutes, but you know, it felt it felt it felt, uh, felt very short. Uh, it felt very fast actually. Felt, felt a very fast episode. So yeah. Um, if you want to contact the show, you know where to find it. It's on all the all the um, descriptions wherever you're listening. Excuse me, and also on the article for this episode. 
excuse me, hiccups now, great, burps, hiccups, we've got it all today, and coughs uh, in between, <laughs> and uh, all the all the links will be on the fifthelement.org.uk, if you want to read those, if you want to read Gary Young's post, if you want to read um, any of the 21 Savage stuff, and also the 15 Britons to look up, um, hope you guys are actually really, um, uh, feel like looking that up by yourselves, so um, yeah, that's pretty much been the show, and uh, hopefully there will be uh, continuing next week, next Thursday, uh, and I just actually got a phone call mid-recording from my mum saying, we ain't got heat until next Tuesday, so, yay! <laughs> this is going to be bad cold. <laughs> oh, so much tea will be drank, so much tea, and an unhealthy amount of tea will be drank in the next week, but um, as I battle the cold, as I... <laughs> I hope you guys have a good weekend and a good week ahead, and hope your February is much better than... Uh, mine is kind of <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, from the 5th Element Podcast Network I'll be Charlie Taylor this has been What's Goods I shall see you guys next week take it easy ladies and gentlemen